Welcome to the Gospel Clarity Podcast, where we explore how the story of Jesus changes everything. In order for the gospel to be central, it must be functional. I'm your host, Mark Smith. And my name is Andrew Arthur. Thanks for joining us. We're glad you're here today. And we are going to finish our three-part series of Encountering Christ in the Scriptures. It has been a fun ride, and today we're going to be talking about cross-examining the text. What does that mean? Well, we're glad you're here to listen. Andrew, how's it going, man? Uh, Day's going well. I've got two kids at home with fevers right now, so we are working through that, but hopefully we'll kick it soon. That that sounds... I guess it's just a matter of time before it bounces from one person to the next. Is it? Is it this time of the year? It's the time that time everyone, of the year. That time everyone of the gets year. sick. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I have a question for you. Mm-hmm. Before we dive into this, are you guys doing? Do you have any fun Christmas traditions? We do. We we make a big deal of getting and decorating our Christmas tree every year. Awesome. Uh, we have a similar routine of how we do that. Uh, there are certain movies that we watch together every year. Elf being probably the the most uh, consistent one that we're committed to. Um, there was a time when we would ride the bus to downtown Seattle and we would go to Macy's and kids would pick out a, an annual special Christmas ornament for the tree. However, Macy's in downtown is closing down. So uh, we are what? unable and we're living on the we're, we're living in we're living with friends right now where our house is being worked on so uh, the bus stop all that's just not there like it was at you know, in previous years. So that's one tradition we're going to have to recalibrate going forward. Oh, man. Macy's is closing. It is. Last year I got a Yoda ornament. It was cool. fantastic. And I think Asher may have broke him within like, you know, a couple of weeks of having him. Yeah. Uh, as you're talking about your traditions, the Smith family traditions are very similar. Yep. Yep. We make a really big deal about getting a Christmas tree. We... Um, but recently, since we've moved back to, to Seattle, we have been uh, going and finding, going to the Christmas tree farms mm-hmm. and like chopping one down ourselves. Awesome. It's yeah. been pretty cool. Yeah. We've done it the last two years, and that's a lot of fun, and the kids get to pick it out. Um, I, I really love Christmas trees, so what they pick out there normally, their Christmas trees are about their height. Mm-hmm. So every year I'm trying to encourage them to think bigger. <laughs> look at your height. Yeah, yeah. Look at look it at my height. It's, it's got to be taller than than me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it can't be their height, but it's pretty cute how they find the Charlie Brown Christmas trees and the yeah, little yeah. tiny ones. Yeah. Um, so anyway, that's cool. Well, today we're talking about our uh, part three of encountering Christ in the Scriptures, mm-hmm. and. Are you excited about this? Has this been a fun, fun topic? To yeah, explore? and you know, like most of the topics we cover in this podcast, there's always more to say. Mm-hmm. Uh, there, there's always a lot more to say, and uh, so we're hoping to be priming the pumps and how people are thinking about uh, their approach to reading, preaching, or teaching the Bible. And uh, we hope that this is exercise of looking at Psalm 23 is is um, is is helpful in the process as we just kind of give one small example of how we can examine a passage as we did last episode and cross-examine a passage, which is what we're talking about today. Yeah. And so just to recap on our last episode, 
we were looking at kind of a phase, uh, maybe a phase one, as you would call it, of examining the text's immediate context. Mm -hmm. Do you want to give us another kind of wrap up, uh, just a quick summary of uh, examining the text immediate context. Yeah, in the immediate context of a passage, it's it's to read the text, it's to familiar familiarize yourself with the language of the text, with the flow of thought, with sentence uh, structure, paragraph breakdown, all those dynamics. Uh, but then really paying attention to three interdependent dimensions. One is the literary dimension. What type of literature are we dealing with? Is this a song, a poem, or is this a letter? Is this a narrative, or is this um, a um, song of lament or whatever the case may be because the Bible is comprised of many different genres and so we want to make sure we, we know what type of literature we're dealing with so that we can apply the appropriate tools when interpreting. Uh, so we want to look at a passage in its literary context but then that also means to look at it in the context of the book that it is a part of because sometimes there are poetic passages in historical books and so we have to be able to recognize those when those pop up because again that changes and affects our mode and method of interpretation. So literary dimension but then there's also the historical dimension where we pay attention to the events and the setting of the text. Uh, we maybe explore the background of the passage and the background of the book that we are reading and spending time in. A good study Bible is a helpful tool for doing that. A uh, really good study Bible that can provide you with uh, some background information, historical context and information on a passage or on the different books of the Bible, those are incredibly helpful tools for every disciple and every teacher or preacher of the scriptures. And then the third dimension would be the theological dimension. This is where we begin to ask, what does this passage tell me about who God is and who I am in relation to God? And uh, that's where we ended last week. We just uh -huh. made some observations of Psalm 23 uh, that were theological in in intent and in design. Mm -hmm. uh, I think some of the themes that we pointed out involved our the intimate relationship that we can have with the Lord or the intimate relationship that Yahweh has with his covenant people, with those who are in covenant fellowship with him. Then we also talked about uh, the relationship of suffering and our and how we how God walks with us through our suffering and and then we how we are able to uh, talk to to him and how that is more advantageous for a suffering soul than spending time talking about God in theoretical uh, conversations or in theoretical settings, but instead looking at real life and the real world, real suffering, and talking directly to God in the midst of all of that, trusting that he's leading us through uh, the valleys of the shadow of death, or he's walking us through the difficult, trying times of life. And then we ended with you, Mark, pointing out the, the beauty of uh, the verses, I believe, 5 and 6 of Psalm 23 that emphasize the goodness of God and the faithfulness of God that is following his people every day of their lives. And so, yeah, we may step into uh, darkness and difficulty, uh, hardship and pain and suffering, but we can rest assured that goodness and faithfulness has not abandoned us, that it will follow us through that and one thing, I don't think we stated it this way, but I'll state it this way for today's conversation, is that the hard place is never the destination for God's covenant community. Um, the valley of the shadow of death is never our permanent destination. And so we will be led through, not just to those difficult times. And so how that um, those theological perspectives are all surfacing in our meditation upon the language and the flow of thought in Psalm 23. That's powerful. That's really powerful. 
So let's let's talk then about as we become familiar with that, with looking at the immediate context. Now what we want to do is we want to cross-examine the text. Can you give us just a little explanation as to what cross-examining uh, a passage of Scripture, what that means? Well, um, it first convictionally, um, I do not believe we understand any passage of the Bible until we cross-examine it. And yes, there's a pun there of cross-examining the passage, meaning... We want to read and study every passage. <laughs> I didn't even get it until now. <laughs> we want to read and study every passage of the Bible in order to see Christ, that there is some aspect of his person, his work, and or his teaching that every passage bears a discernible witness to, mm -hmm. that there is uh, Christ in the pages in every passage and on every page of the Bible. And so cross-examining is, is, is learning how to read the Bible and to apply certain holistic tools to that process that can um, bring us to an awareness of some aspect of the person, work, and or teaching of Christ. Right, because we want to remember that Scripture tells one unified big picture story. One big story, and each book within that Bible, within the Bible, all points to Jesus. Right, because we don't want to ever miss the forest because of the trees. Nice. And sometimes we focus so heavily on the. We don't want to. We the trees are important. <laughs> we need to examine them, which is what the first phase does. But then we need to pan out and remind ourselves of the forest, of the bigger picture, and cross-examining is cross-examining the passage is what takes us in that direction. Mm -hmm. Now, a quick question. When you're talking about cross-examining, does that mean that we're going to be looking at like an Old Testament passage or to a New Testament passage? Are we cross-examining the Testament, like the New and Old Testament? Mm -hmm. Or are we cross-examining just different passages, maybe perhaps within the same book? That's a great question, and I think cross-examination, in my mind, um, can take one of at least five forms. Nice. So that when you're reading a passage and you're identifying a theological theme, so let's say the theological theme of God doesn't lead us to suffering, He leads us through suffering mm -hmm. to a better end, or to a, to a glorious end, which is the movement of Psalm 23. If that's our theological theme, then we ask ourselves, okay, where is this theme ultimately resolved? And then theme, rev theme resolution then becomes a way in which you cross-examine the passage to uh, run the, that theme through to and through the person, work, and or teaching of Christ. Because we know that ultimately that's where the Bible heads. The Bible heads uh, where we move through a fallen world and we step into a new heavens and a new earth. So, all the, so there's a sense in which at one level all the experiences of va the valley of the shadow of death in this life is going to end in glory in the end. But how does that happen? It happens because God did not simply lead Jesus to the cross. He led him through the cross. And so not only did Jesus die, he resurrected from the grave. He ascended to the right hand of the throne of the Father, and he promises to return. And with him comes a new heaven and a new earth. With him comes a table that will all sit down and feast with him at. And so we will know the goodness and the faithfulness of God when all is said and done. And so the theme of God leading us through suffering to, to glory of Psalm 23 finds its ultimate resolution in the gospel. Another method, uh, say you're reading a passage that um, 
That, that's one of the ways in which I would take Psalm 23. I would, into, I would cross-examine Psalm 23. But then there are other passages that may look at, um, let's say you're reading a pa- passage in the Old Testament that, where there's a law stated, a command. And you're reading that as a human being who is a sinner, and you're wondering, um, I have broken that command more times than I can count. I do not live up to that standard. What do you do with that? Do you just let that passage crush you and kill you and condemn you in that moment? Or yes, do just you, kidding. <laughs> or do you cross-examine the passage? And so a second way in which we cross-examine is, is where we um, remember what's called the, the, the way of perfect obedience. And we remind ourselves that when Jesus stepped into the world, he said, I did not come to remove one iota from the law. I came to fulfill the law for you. And the reason why Jesus was baptized at the beginning of his ministry was to fulfill all righteousness. It was a move in that direction. And so the idea of of the way of perfect obedience would tell us that uh, as we read those passages and we're convicted of our sin, what do we do with that? Well, we run to Jesus and we remind ourselves that he fulfilled all righteousness, that he lived a life of perfect obedience. Obedience, and so that would be another way in which we can cross-examine a passage. And then I would say a th- third way that we cross-examine a passage is what's called promise fulfillment. So if you're reading a passage where there's a promise, but that promise is far grander and far more glorious than the immediate context can actually fill out of a passage, because maybe it's a a passage in one of the prophets, let's say Isaiah, that refers to the moment when our swords are hammered into plows and our lions are lying down with lambs. And you have these moments, these pictures of serenity and peace and shalom. That promise that is being prophesied there obviously is not being experienced anywhere on the world, in the world right now. And so you elevate that and you say, okay, this, this promise is far bigger than the passage itself. And so I need to, uh, I can think about promise fulfillment and remind myself of, is it 1 Corinthians 1.10 or 2 Corinthians 1.10 that tells us all the promises of God find their yes in Christ? And we cross-examine the passage by moving towards how Jesus fulfills every promise in the Old Testament, that the reason we can take hope in those passages as we read them and examine them is because we cross-examine them and are reminded that Jesus uh, fulfills them, and he, because of his life, death, and resurrection, he will keep these promises forever and always. And then a fourth way to cross-examine the text is to think about story completion. There are some stories in the Old Testament that you may read, and the story seems incomplete. For example, uh, Genesis chapter 22, when Abraham uh, is told to sacrifice Isaac, and as he's being obedient to the Lord, showing that he fears the Lord, uh, he lays Isaac down on the altar and and he's preparing to render that obedience. And then God intervenes and said, no, I, I, I don't want you to sacrifice your son. I'm going to provide a lamb for you. And then he provides a lamb for Abraham. There's a lamb in the thicket that he went and goes and gets. And he goes and gets. <clears throat> and it takes Isaac's place on the altar. Now, that's a great story. And in and of itself, it is complete. But we also know that there, there's there's theology there that is speaking far further into the future than what you find in that immediate story. And so usually uh, you might read a story like that and in your Bible there's a cross-reference and a cross-reference may point you to a passage in the New Testament that shows ways in which that passage moves us to the person, work, and our teaching of Christ. And so, for example, in Romans chapter 8, there's this moment where Paul says, 
If God, who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how much more then will he not graciously give us or provide for us all things? And so in Genesis 22, God says, I'm your provider. I'm going to provide a lamb for the sacrifice, for the offering. Then Romans 8, 28, Paul is actually quoting um, language that, this is getting kind of in the weeds, but in Romans 8, not 8, 28, but in Romans chapter 8, uh, Paul cites, or he draws language from the what's called the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, where that idea of God not sparing his own son is an allusion to the Genesis 22 story. And so you look at that story and you, you sense, well, it's still not entirely complete because uh, we know that lambs cannot do everything for our atonement. Lambs cannot do everything for uh, the cleansing of God's people, that there must be another lamb that God provides. And then we're told in Romans 8 that God provided his son, and we think about God's provision there, and we, um, and we begin to see how Jesus ultimately completes the pictures and the patterns and the paradigms of Genesis chapter 22. And so that would be another way. And then uh, finally, uh, a last, the last, maybe um, it's, it's probably a more technical approach to cross-examining the passage, but a fifth and fifth way that I would give in this talk and the five ways that I like to think about cross-examining the passage, uh, the fifth is what's called substantiated symbols otherwise known as typology. And so ah. typology is where there are shadows in the Old Testament that find their substance in the new, and it's always centered on the person, work, and or teaching of Christ. So the temple in the Old Testament is a substantiated symbol that finds its fulfillment in Christ. Um, the lambs, or the, the Day of Atonement in mm -hmm. Leviticus, that is a substantiated symbol. All that is going on in that on that annual celebration by the people of Israel is substantiated, it is filled out, it is filled full in Jesus. And so you read these passages that have um, incredible symbols that foreshadow and shadow the coming of Jesus and all that he would accomplish, and then we hope it just really provides a lot more color to our understanding of the gospel when we learn to connect those dots in reading the Bible. So could we, can some of these... Um some of these these steps and some of these things, can they kind of uh, complement and kind of help each other? Like I'm thinking about when you're talking about the story of Abraham um, sacrificing his son, I'm, I'm picking up both symbols, story completion, and it's all kind of weaving together. And is that... Uh, is that helpful? Is that is that a good way to think about this? When we think about the the lamb, we're thinking about the sacrifice. All of these things coming together are showing us a full picture of this of Christ. Yeah, I think I think it's appropriate to you can do you can. There's not just one of these that applies to every passage. A lot of you you may find in one given passage that it's appropriate to think and meditate and move through more than one of these potential ways yeah. of cross examining passage. Yeah. Even when you look at Psalm 23, I mean, we, we just picked out the one theme that, that God doesn't lead us through uh, to suffering, but through suffering and how that was most em embodied in the cross and how that assures us of our own lives and our journey through a broken world. But you could also look at the idea of the Lord being our shepherd. And you know, in John chapter 10, Jesus refers to himself as the good shepherd, mm -hmm. and he identifies himself as the Lord with that statement. And so there's a connection between, or there can be, there, there's an illusion between John 10, 10 that we find and Psalm 23. 
But what goes even further is that Jesus isn't just the she- the good shepherd. When he talks about when he when he talks about laying down his life for the sheep, um, he's essentially a, the shepherd who becomes a sheep. And so we find Jesus is both the shepherd and the sheep all at the same time. And also, if you look at um, when I'm thinking too in Luke 15, where also Jesus in John 10, he's given us, he's saying, I am the good shepherd. But in Luke 15, we see more of the motivation of the shepherd right through his parable of the lost sheep as he's going and getting them, which I think also using that cross-examination provides us even more color with both the symbol of the the lamb, the symbol of the shepherd, mm-hmm. and the uh, just the, the motivations behind the shepherd and how he's willing to sacrifice and how much he's willing to sacrifice for the sake of his sheep. Mm-hmm. And then you, you have, and with that, you have even more depth to your meditation. And this is why gazing upon the beauty of Christ, it may sound simple and it may sound like, you know, you, you identify it and then move on. You know, you keep thinking, you keep turning that... Um, screw and let it dig deeper and deeper Mm -hmm. and deeper into the passage. And so the example of this would be in Psalm 23, the Lord is the shepherd and David is the sheep, but we find in the gospel that Jesus is both the shepherd and the sheep. And with that comes a deeply profound identification with the human condition. If Jesus is a sheep who is led by the led by his father through his life to his death and ultimately vindicated and resurrected. That's the story of every Christian, that we are led by the Lord through this world, and there, you know, pending his return, we will die in this world, but we can trust the Lord is leading us through our death, and there's pending vindication and resurrection on the other side of all of this, and and so um, just learning to to think about uh, or to to let it take you as deep in your meditation your reflection upon the beauty of Christ as as possible and this is really why we need to be as believers we need to be familiar with the entire with the whole bible not just little parts of it not just our favorite parts but as we read through the bible we're going to pick up some we're going to pick up creation fall redemption, restoration, right? And if we look at it in that order and in that kind of uh, context, if you will, Mm -hmm. then we're going to pick up the more nuanced themes, the more nuanced symbols and stories that bring this one big story to completion. Right, yeah. The, The more familiar we are with our Bibles, the more equipped we will be to see and to gaze upon the beauty of Christ in its pages. Yeah. But if you're only familiar with one book or you're only familiar with one testament, you're not going to see the beauty of Christ as God intends for us to when we read and preach and teach the scriptures. Read the books, everybody listening, read the books that may feel boring to read. The the books that may not have uh, or may feel more obscure, like First and Second Chronicles, mm-hmm. is a book that's filled with this incredible timeline, all pointing to Jesus, uh, showing the nuance of what God is doing in Israel and throughout Israel's history. Um, But a lot of times we overlook it because it's filled with names. And we get tired of trying to pronounce all these names that we can't normally say out loud to people, right? Right, and and the Chronicles is a good example of that. And then also recognizing the relationship between Chronicles and the Kings, 
that uh, the really the agenda of the author, this is where knowing the immediate literary historical context and uh, literary historical and theological dimension of those passages and those particular books helps because you may read through first and second kings and then read first and second chronicles and you and if you're not aware of what the author's trying to do and kind of the literary historical theological dynamics of the immediate context of those books then you're going to they can you can read those as if are these I feel like these are pitted against each other and not supportive of one another uh, and and if we only see the um, the immediate context, that's the those are the types of conclusions we're going to draw. But when we recognize that there's a much bigger context that all of these books and all of these passages are serving, according to God's design, as Jesus affirms in Luke twenty four, as the Spirit has as the Spirit has inspired uh, these writings, uh, then we understand that, okay, it's not enough just to focus on the immediate context and the literary, historical, theological dimension of a given passage or a given book of the Bible. We need the immediate context and the ultimate uh, biblical theological context that centers on creation, fall, redemption, recreation, and the elements that you have, that you've stated. So Andrew, could we, let's recap those, those five, those five elements to or five methods of cross-examining a text. One can more time. I can I can I just kind of can I back all the way up to examine and, and recap kind of the whole picture? I'll do it real fast. Yes, you can. <laughs> so, I will allow it. So the simple approach to reading and interpreting to, to gazing upon Christ in the Scriptures is: you start by examining the text, familiarizing yourself with its language, familiarizing yourself with the literary, historical, and theological dimensions of a given passage that you're reading. Once you're familiar with those elements, then you want to move towards cross-examining because understanding a passage in its immediate context is not sufficient for a disciple of Christ who believes the Bible is all about Jesus. And so we cross-examine the passage. But how do we cross-examine a passage in a way that is faithful so that we're not just making things up about Jesus in light of the passage that we're reading? Well, there are several ways in which we can do it because these are ways in which the New Testament writers model for us and that... It stands to reason that Jesus demonstrated to his disciples when he was interpreting everything in the Old Testament about uh, as as being about him in Luke 24. And so five uh, handles that we're providing at this point, uh, five, at least these five ways are, are possibly good in serving your ability to gaze upon the beauty of Christ. That would be what's called theme resolution, uh, perfect obedience, promise fulfillment, story completion, and substantiated symbols or typology. And, and so those are elements that are, those are ways, those are paths, those are things that the more we interact with the Bible in this way, uh, the more natural they can become. And we might not be thinking about those specific categories. Uh, we're just kind of, it's like breathing. We're not conscious of the fact that we're breathing. Yeah. And I think disciples can get to the point where they're reading the Bible and in, on some level, their soul is resonating with the beauty of Christ that's, that they are discovering in every passage. And they're just doing these things as kind of a default way of reading and interpreting and applying the scriptures. And uh, with that said, um, the only way this can happen is if disciples are very familiar with their Bibles. Read um, your Bibles. Need yeah. to know the storyline of the scripture. 
uh, avoid the Psalms, New Test, the Psalms, Proverbs, and New Testament versions of the Bible. Uh, get whole Bibles, Genesis through Revelation. Let those be your ordinary Bibles. Um, I, I know those others have their place and, and can be beneficial because God saves people through those all the time. But if you're going to go deeper in your discipleship, if you're going to mature as a follower of Christ, if we're going to be better preachers, teachers, um, readers of the Bible, we need to understand the whole Bible and how the whole Bible and all of its interrelated parts bears a discernible witness to the person, work, and or teaching of Jesus. This has been super helpful, Andrew. Thank you for uh, walking us through this. And um, I hope that this is encouraging to everyone as we are all seeking to encounter Christ in the scriptures. Mm-hmm.